Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is Mark Oliver and I'm the producer of the Davos in the Desert podcast series. Our podcasts feature thought leaders in business and public policy. Our sessions are meant to be informative and thought-provoking. The topic of this session is preparing for conflict with China, and our guest is Seth Cropsey. Mr. Cropsey is the president of Yorktown Institute. He served as Deputy Undersecretary of the Navy in the Reagan administration and Acting Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict in the George H.W. Bush administration. Without further ado, here is David Wanatik, the CEO of Davos in the Desert and the host of our podcast series. Welcome everyone to Davos in the Desert. My name is David Wanatik. I'm the CEO of Davos in the Desert. Today's podcast is going to feature um, preparing for conflict with China. Speaking on the preparation for conflict with China, very pleased to introduce Seth Cropsey. Uh, Mr. Cropsey is the president of Yorktown Institute, an organization that he founded. Uh, Mr. Cropsey also served as Deputy Undersecretary of the Navy in the Reagan administration and served as Acting Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict in the George H.W. Bush administration. So, Seth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. So, um, the topic is preparing for conflict with China, but I suppose the preceding question is, are we already in a low-intensity conflict with China on, on so many fronts? Um, on the social front with TikTok, you know, um, teaching bad values and bad activities for to young people, um, uh, their involvement with the fentanyl trade that's uh, pouring into the United States and causing so many deaths, um, COVID, you know, a whole, uh, we can have a whole discussion on uh, the Chinese involvement in uh, instigating the COVID pandemic. Um, is that already, you know, do you agree with the premise? And are we already in a low intensity conflict with China? Well, it's a, uh, David, it's a terminological thing. It's a question of how you define things. I wouldn't call it low intensity uh, because that has a specific military meaning. Um, and it means, you know, metal is flying. So at least in military speak, I would say that we're already in a cold war with China. And the examples that you gave are some of many. You know, there's uh, um, IT, computer hacking that's done, uh, computer efforts by Chinese government agencies to uh, create turmoil and trouble with, uh, with, with the U.S. military, with U.S. companies. It goes back you know, at least a decade, okay? Um, the Chinese say that, you know, Xi Jinping and and, uh, and Vladimir Putin get together and say that there's no, no distance between, no light between them and that there is one. Um, and we're fighting a proxy war in, in Ukraine. Now, um, Ukraine is, we're supporting Ukraine and the Chinese are supporting the Russians. Um, if not at full scale, then certainly morally and, and with equipment. Um, the Chinese uh, are constantly trying to um, hem in Taiwan and Taiwan is a 
a partner and a friend of the United States and uh, the possibility of a crisis in the Taiwan Strait um, is something that um, has certainly has the attention of American uh, military and national security policymakers. So we find ourselves up against China there as well, uh, with China trying to intimidate uh, Taiwan, not only on the military side, but diplomatically and economically. Um, and, you know, the Chinese would clearly like to see um, our uh, communications with uh, West Pacific allies like Japan and Korea and the Philippines uh, cut or injured um, in a way that would make it difficult for us to project power in the region. So they want us out. Um, so so I, while I would not call it a, a low intensity conflict, um, I would definitely say Cold War. What concerns you the most about the kinds of issues we mentioned, you know, uh, their, their involvement in initiating and perpetuating COVID, um, or, you know, are you more concerned about the fentanyl uh, crisis or, you know, their efforts to win the hearts and minds and influence people or capturing data, you know, capturing so much data about so many tens of millions of Americans? What, well, and what, also, and also stealing American intellectual property, which goes back 25 years or more. Um, what am I most concerned about? Um, what I'm most concerned about is that uh, we have, we are not prepared for a conflict with China. Um, and that doesn't mean only the military, it means psychologically, um, it means diplomatically, economically, uh, logistically, uh, so, uh, while I think the Chinese are very keen to uh, achieve their longer-term goals, immediate and their longer-term goals, I think we're, we're not there yet. We're not even close. Um, the most favorable development in uh, our relations with China um took place uh during the previous the trump administration when as a result of trump's efforts and also a growing awareness in congress of uh what china is up to um the attitude toward china the u.s attitude toward china changed from what it had been for 40 years to something more approximating reality, which is that we are in at least a competition, a strategic competition with them, and possibly a pre-war period. But that's a that's an important change in thinking, um, but it has not yet been matched by our action. Mm -hmm. So uh, specifically for any kind of a conflict with China, to what extent are we compromised because we uh, basically enforced vaccination among military members and there were some uh, dis dismissals of some 
members of the military that did not want to get vaccinated. Um, you know, you have that issue. You have CRT going through the military, and uh, I guess secondly, support of the Ukraine. To what extent are our munitions depleted uh, because of our assistance to the Ukraine? Well, you mentioned some social issues first, like uh, the COVID, the way COVID was handled, um, uh, and critical race theory. Uh, I don't think that those have any have had any great impact on um, preparing for conflict or trying to deter it, which should be our first object. No one, I mean, we don't want war. No one who wants a war. The idea is to ought to be to prevent one by convincing the other guy that it's not in his interest to start it. Um, the question about Ukraine goes to uh, is a very good one, and it goes to a large strategic question, and that is who, whether a country or axis of countries is going to be the the leading power in the Eurasian landmass, which is economically uh, and national security-wise, the most important place on the earth for the United States. Okay, so whoever is able to control that Eura Eurasia, which means the the land between the the uh, Western Europe European shore of the Atlantic to the Taiwan Strait, um, controls a majority of the world's economy and population. Um, and it is not in our interest in the same way that it was not in our interest in World Wars One and Two, for there to be a, uh, a, a, a power on, in Eurasia, on, on the Eurasian landmass um, that can compete with the United States militarily, diplomatically, economically, or whatever you wanna say. So um, the Ukraine issue should not be considered separate from the question of our relationship with China and um, the, um, the outcome in Ukraine will have a direct bearing on what happens next in the West Pacific. Mm -hmm. That is to say, if we, if we are, if we, if the American people decide that they've had enough of Ukraine and want to get out, and our politicians provide some kind of an excuse that is a fig leaf, there will be consequences in the West Pacific, specifically in Taiwan. Anyway, just to back on the issue of uh, the extent to which we're diverting munitions to Ukraine at the expense of our own inventory, um, read in the Wall Street Journal every couple days something about, you know, the depletion of, of weapons in the United States and the fact there's still supply chain issues in manufacturing munitions and in many uh, elements of the munitions, there's only a single source company that can fulfill orders. Um, so I guess, bottom line, how concerned are you that our productive capacity is not where it needs to be should there be a war with China? 
I'm very concerned. And in that sense, uh, the war in, in Ukraine ought to be seen as a um, as an alarm, as a, a ringing bell, um, because although we are assisting Ukraine with munitions, you correctly point out um, the the draw on our ability to make munitions in Ukraine is minuscule compared to what it would be if there were a war with China. So what this should be telling us is make better preparations. And that's not just, that doesn't apply just to munitions. Um, that applies to missiles, aircraft, ships, all sea lift. We don't have the sea lift right now. If we had, if Ukraine had was as peaceful today as it was 15 years ago, right? We do not have the sea lift capability to supply a force in the field in the West Pacific. It's not there. Okay, that has nothing to do with Ukraine. Um, so, and as far as the Navy is concerned, it's exactly the same thing. The Navy has a relatively small role to play in Ukraine. We have a carrier in the Mediterranean on a more permanent basis than we than we've had in the past before the war. Okay, but um, as far as the number of ships, the Chinese Navy still has a larger one. Ukraine has nothing to do with that. Okay. Uh, what what do you think the risks are that there will be a shooting war between mainland China and Taiwan? Um. I think a lot of that depends on us. To the extent that we demonstrate our, to the extent that China knows that we will help and are helping and have supplied the Taiwanese with the weapons they need to deter a conflict, the Chinese will be less interested in starting a war. To the extent that they see American resolve wavering, and what I mean is that we're not providing them what that we fail to provide them the weapons they need, um, it encourages, it invites aggression. Weakness invites aggression. You know, this, this <laughs> read Thucydides, you know, go back to ancient Greece and you it's the same thing then as it is now. Um, strength discourages aggression, weakness invites it. And the Chinese aren't stupid. <laughs> they understand that. So the United States um, has deployed American forces to Taiwan, um, uh, part of Taiwan or islands very, very close to Taiwan. Correct. Well, we have we have well, we have forces in uh, we have a lot of uh, military material in one place in Guam, which is not close, but it's in the area. Um, we have uh, naval and air bases in um, in Japan. Uh, relations with the Philippines are improving. Of course, we have the, um, the uh, an infantry division in uh, in South Korea. Um, but, you know, all of those, all the bases we have in the region, 
throughout the region and Australia. I don't want to leave out Australia. Uh, Australia's our presence in Australia is being increased. Um, but all of those places are as uh, as subject to China Chinese aggression in a in a conflict as they were in World War II. And look what the Japanese did after December seventh. Okay, but I, I did read that uh, there have been some deployments of American forces. I think to Taiwan itself, maybe not very, that type. very, very limited. Very limited, but still, still some some yeah, uh, presence of soldiers and, okay. and occasional military visits. But there are, you know, this is not a, you know, this is not a, uh, this isn't at the level of a brigade or a battalion or even a, a, a you know, a permanent company. But still, if if one of those soldiers gets injured, uh, brings the United States closer to to getting more active in the conflict. Um, what do you think about the quality of Chinese weapons? You know, um, you know, of course, their image and their marketing is that all their technology is top of the line. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes their technology doesn't work as well as advertised. Um, what do you think the lethality of Chinese weapons are? Well, I can speak more about uh, the... Uh... The Navy than uh, about the Army, and I don't, you know, as far as the Army goes, I I find it extraordinarily difficult to imagine an American Army uh, invading um, China. So I don't think that's a I don't think that's very likely. Um, we have our um, our naval technology is unequaled in the world, especially in submarine warfare, simply unequaled. Um, but uh, a lot uh, you know, high technology is not and was never really meant to be a substitute for numbers. It was meant to, to counter numbers, but not to overwhelm them. No one thinks that that's possible, or let's just say very few think that's possible. You have uh, a handful of American submarines can be extremely effective, but if you have uh, a raid against them, several dozen uh, Chinese submarines, um, the technological advantage uh, becomes thin. Um, and the same thing is true with with aircraft carriers. Our, you know, the Chinese have for you know, a few aircraft carriers now, a couple of aircraft carriers and are building more. Is their technology, is their aircraft technology equal to ours? Absolutely not. Um, are the escorts, both surface and subsurface that go along with the carrier, are theirs equal to ours? No, they're not. But the Chinese have missiles and the missile and in large, large number. And they have used those missiles and land-based aviation uh, to create a, an area where it would be extremely dangerous for a surface vessel like an aircraft, a big aircraft carrier, all aircraft carriers are big, um, to go. Um, so um, the technological argument is 
extremely important. Uh, I don't, I don't think that the Chinese have bad technology. Um, some of it is quite good. They have good sensing abilities, capabilities. Um, they have good satellite networks. Um, they don't have combat experience at sea, and this is a, this would be a naval theater. Uh, so, um, and we have serious problems that go far beyond technology. For example, um, we don't have a lot of repair facilities in the region. And the ones that we have are not as well defended as they could be. And in a war, you need repair facilities. And more than, and just as much as repair facilities, you need to be able to replenish ships, to build more ships if you lose them. That's, that's what happens in a war. You lose ships, they get damaged. And on that score, we're in trouble. And the Chinese have to get a few hundred miles from their coast, a hundred miles from their coast in order to conduct combat operations. We have to get 6,000 miles in a sustained conflict. Hmm. So geography is in their favor. Um, so what do you think the chances of the Chinese having a successful invasion of Taiwan are? You, know, you mentioned that the US has very good submarines and uh, my understanding is the waters uh, off the shore of Taiwan are heavily mined and the Taiwanese have spent years uh, defending uh, their their coasts, and uh, so that that's the first part of the question. The other part of the question is, would China really have an all-out war against Taiwan? Because they say that uh, Taiwan is is part of China. It's like built bombing a different state, um, and they're all ethnic Chinese. In Russia, you know, there are ethnical language differences between Russians and Ukrainians. Um, you know, we, we know that China is a, a dictatorship that doesn't really care too much about public opinion, but we did see that once there were some protests several months ago against the COVID lockdown, things changed overnight. Um, you know, it was everybody has to be locked down and then everything's opened up because there were some protests. Um, so anyway, feel free to comment. Uh, look, the Taiwanese have done a uh, have done a very good job under very trying circumstances. Um, they're under constant threat. Uh, communist Chinese um, now routinely fly over the midline that separates the, that divides the China, the Taiwan Strait in two. Chinese naval combatants circumnavigate the island of Taiwan often. Um, and yes, the Taiwanese have taken um, you know, have been serious about improving their defenses. And one of one demonstration of that you mentioned, mining. Um, another is their plan to build, which is you know, several years old now, uh, to build their own submarines. Very difficult, but they've stuck with it. Um, they've increased their defense budget under the current president, Tsai Ing-wen. 
Um, but as I mentioned in reference to an earlier question of yours, the Chinese have this overwhelming um, su superiority in numbers of missiles and a missile barrage that lasted a week or two weeks or three um, would do an immense amount of damage. And one can only imagine what kind of political damage it would do um, as people, you know, look at Ukraine, for example. The Chinese ability to inflict, inflict damage is greater than the Russian on Taiwan is greater than the Russians on Ukraine. Uh, so, I, um, it's um, without American and allied assistance, um, the Taiwanese can hold out for a certain amount of time, but over uh, a long period, I'm not so sure. How cohesive do you think the coalition is? So, if well, I'm sorry, David, I, I didn't answer your your other question. I, if I can just go back, you 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 asked a second question along with that, and that is the willingness of the Chinese communists to use force against the um, against people who are many of them are ethnically uh, Chinese, Han Chinese. Many of them are not. That doesn't make any difference, Chinese or not. That's not what Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China is thinking about. What they're thinking about is this is a breakaway province and they rule an empire where breakaway provinces spell danger. And Taiwan is right in the center of the uh, of the, the so-called first island chain, the, the 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 island nations that uh, surround China's Pacific border. So that means Japan, Taiwan, the Philippines, right? And Taiwan's ability to survive um, and um, be an effective, um, have an effective military blocks easy access of China into the Central Pacific and into the Second Island chain. Um, and ultimately, you know, you have to ask questions about Hawaii, about the safety of Hawaii. So it's not only that on the political and cultural side that the Chinese communists view Taiwan as a threat to their imperial status. It's on the geostrategic side where Taiwan is able to control the straits between it and Japan and it and the Philippines through which Chinese vessels would be able to pass if Taiwan were in Chinese hands without any, without any problem whatsoever and extend their reach into, for example, the Solomon Islands, what's usually called Oceania, and further and further east into the Pacific. So do you, are you saying that you think the Chinese have designs on uh, uh, territories beyond Taiwan, like the Philippines or as far as Hawaii? 
Um, I think the Chinese designs are global. Okay. Um, and if it, you and anyone who thinks that a the Chinese possession of Taiwan, no matter how it how it was achieved, would end Chinese ambitions in the Western Pacific or the Mid Pacific is wrong. Um, how cohesive do you think the coalition is, uh, the Western coalition, if uh, you know the first ship from China um, tries to reach the Taiwanese shores? Do you think the alliance um, would hold up and respond? Is it one cohesive unit, everything from Singapore to, to Australia to South Korea, Japan, United States? Well, you know, these are really excellent questions, David, uh, but I'm afraid I have to give the same answer to, to, to that I did to a similar question earlier in our discussion. And that is that, um, like it or not, the United States is the, is the, the strong man. It's the, it, it's the most powerful horse here. And if our allies and, and it, you know, uh, look, the British and the French have sent ships to the Taiwan Strait also. They understand the economics involved, and they understand the security implications. Um, so uh, I think most of the free and democratic states do, you know, with market economies, do understand the implications of a China that is simply, you know, that, that rules all of Asia. Um, but they're but they're all looking at us. Um, can Britain do this by itself? No way. It has 19 surface ships. Can France do it by itself? Wouldn't dream of it, even though it has a very capable navy. Can Japan? No, nah, no way. Um, if the United States is out out of the picture for whatever reason, um, I don't. These countries, especially the ones in the Western Pacific, will look elsewhere for their security, and they'll look to China. So, assuming that the United States um, responds, you know, first tries to prevent any conflict, but if that can't be accomplished, and there is uh, an attempt to invade Taiwan from China, and the United States responds forcefully. Um, do you think the conflict could be even bigger than just Taiwan? Do you think India might um, attack or, or you know uh, try to assert its territory uh, in 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 Western China and uh, maybe even the Russians? I believe there's some dispute between Russia and China some with some territories. Do you think Russia and India might say, well, China has its hands full fighting the coalition around Taiwan. Maybe this is a good time for us to reconcile our border disputes. I, uh, I don't think it's likely. Um, I think that it's more likely um, that uh, Russia would see its position as the junior partner in the Russia-Chinese relationship um, enhanced and strengthened by Chinese victory over the Americans, over us, in the Taiwan Strait, in the same way that um, uh, China is not taking advantage of Russia's preoccupation with Ukraine to press its claims in Siberia. 
Um, so I, I, I think that down the road, what you're talking about makes sense to me, but in, in, the, in the event of actual hostilities, I don't see it. What about India asserting its yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, but um, I think the, the Indians are pretty cautious. I think that they want they want to see which way which way things are going because um, the 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 major part of a, a conflict between the United States and China over Taiwan would be fought at sea and would have some effect on the, the, the border dispute between India and, uh, and China. But the Navy wouldn't be, wouldn't be a large player there. And I don't think the Indians would want to take that kind of risk without seeing how things were going to turn out. Is there any scenario where the United States could get into a shooting conflict with China outside of Taiwan? Sure. Uh, Sure there is, yeah. Um, an, an accident. An accident happened all the time. Do you remember how many years ago? Um, 20 years ago or so, there was a, 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 a Chinese air, combat aircraft uh, clipped a P-3, mm -hmm. one of our maritime patrol planes, and it managed to land. And you know, there was a big diplomatic bus over that and you know um mistakes with missiles happen and um airplanes hit each other and uh, you know stuff happens um so I, i'm certainly not predicting that and I, god knows i don't want to see anything like that happen but could something like that be the cause of a war well, it could certainly be the cause of shooting. What happened afterwards, you know, hard to tell. That's one of the things about about combat is you don't know. Mm -hmm. You start something, you don't know. Ask Mr. Putin, he'll tell you. If he's telling the truth, he'll tell you the same thing. Um, how could the Chinese uh, inflict great damage by uh, interfering with the supply chain? So... Um, you know, I suppose they could cut the Western world off from chips that come from China, you know, mainland. Um, if they do attack Taiwan, I suppose they could arrest the development of chips or direct the chips only to Chinese purposes. Um, you know, there's that issue. And then also in the medical field, they, they control a lot of the uh, ingredients that go into medicines. And uh, I guess they could shut that off. And even things like monkeys. Sounds funny, but uh, the monkeys that are used for medical research, most of them come from China, I believe, and uh, it's not easy to replicate that. You know, they need to be bred a certain way, have to have a certain genetic composition. It's not something that can be replicated outside of China very quickly. Um, so anyway, um, feel free to comment on those issues. Uh, China is also at risk. For, for the same reasons that you that you point out, which is to say, depending upon U.S. strategy, they could be isolated. They could be isolated. Mm -hmm. You know, their the the greatest volume of their you know a large volume of their trade 
uh, or everything of their trade between China and the Middle East or China and Europe has to go through the Southeast Asian archipelagos, straits. You know, the Lombok, Sunda, and Malacca straits. Um, if those, if U.S. strategy were to close those straits to Chinese shipping, they would, they'd be a problem. Um, it, and it would, there would probably be fighting over that. Um, and the point you make about pharmaceuticals is correct. And that's, that goes back to something that we talked about at the beginning of this discussion, and that is preparedness for conflict with China. Are we uh, stockpiling the, the medicines and the components of medicines that we currently rely on China for? That would be one sign of seriousness, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, is there any, you know, scenario where there could be uh, intercontinental missiles fired uh, from China to the United States or vice versa? Well, yeah. I, I mean, yes. Uh, God forbid, but yes. Um, uh Oh, I forget the name, but Admiral Stavridis, Jim James Stavridis wrote a book um, recently that your readers might find interesting in answer to that question, where where the issue of um, a nuclear exchange between the United States and China is uh, a, a primary part of what the book what the book talks about. It's essentially a war game, but a, a lot of the Tom Clancy-like books are in that, you know, in that general category, make assumptions about uh, what each side is going to do politically and diplomatically and militarily, and then you try to carry those assumptions to their logical conclusions. And the Savridis book um, is a very good one. I recommend it to your listeners, your, to your audience, uh, because it shows um, it shows what, what those exactly what those possibilities are. And interestingly, unlike the, the, um, the ideas that were prevalent during um, the Cold War with the Soviet Union, um, this is more calculated. Uh, the nuclear exchanges are more calculated. They're not simultaneous. They don't come one after another. Uh, but are the matter of diplomatic maneuvering and a lot of consideration and other other military facts that are going on on the surface. Um, so and that's kind of a scary book to read, but um, I think it answers your question uh, correctly, and that is that yes, this could. A conflict between the United States I'll, I'll just put it in the, in the most basic terms. A conflict between the United States and China could escalate, and nobody knows to what point, except that both countries have the ability to, uh, to, to uh, hit each other with, uh, with ICBMs, with nuclear weapons. Yeah, so- I, I don't uh... want to be misunderstood. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, God knows I'm not hoping for this. I'm not prescribing it. I'm not recommending it. 
I'm answering your question whether there's a potential for this, and I, the answer to the question of whether there's a potential is yes. Uh, so we are based in Chandler, Arizona, and uh, we have a lot of semiconductor companies here. Intel has a very large presence, Taiwan Semiconductor, and almost all the semiconductor companies have some presence in Chandler. Uh, so I'm, I'm concerned if there is a shooting war, I'm afraid we can be a, a target. Um, so um, anyway, that's, that's a comment. I guess the last uh, thing that chat about for a moment is uh, what, what should we do? What should the average uh, small business owner or executive do to, to prepare for the risk of war? I guess, um, personally, I'm sort of writing off business in China. Um, I have a partnership with uh, some training I do. And uh, for years, I had a good partnership with somebody in China. And uh, I just think it's too, too risky to do business there. So I guess, you know, to reshore your operations as much as possible, get second sourcing as much as possible, rely as little as possible on your supplies or customer base from China. And, uh, you know, I guess that's that's what I would say, but you can have the last word on those issues. I, I, I think you're right. I agree with you. Um, it would be nice if you could encourage uh, the large lending houses in Wall Street to, uh, to come over to your side on this, but they don't seem inclined. Um, rather, they uh, look at the Chinese economy and see more growth and um, are happy to invest there. I wish they'd stop it. Um, the other thing is write to your congressman, um, write to your representatives in Congress, representatives and you know in the House and in the Senate, and ask them these questions. Ask them, are we, are we ready? You know, does the Navy have a large enough, does the military have a large enough budget? Um, what are you doing about that? Uh, you know, the, the current, the Biden administration's defense budget um, is, is actually a decrease. It, it, it's, it's advertised as an increase. And in dollar terms, it is an increase. But if you account for inflation, it's a decrease. Is this the right time to be decreasing our defense budget? I don't think so. Um, and uh, and um, because the fundamental character of a conflict should one take place with China um, is naval, um, you, the question to ask is, what are you doing to increase the size of the Navy? What is the Navy doing? What is the Navy's strategy for a, in a war with China, in a conflict with China? How does that strategy influence the number of ships that the Navy wants? How many ships does the Navy want? And um, are you, you know, are you giving them the money that they that they need in order to, you know, in order to defend our interests in that part of the world, um, to deter China and make sure that the war never happens? Now, those are the kinds of questions that I think would be useful to. Uh, to put to representatives in both houses of Congress. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We can all uh, communicate to our, our representatives that we're concerned and that the budget should be there to support the military and, you know, maybe also encourage young people to think about a career in, in the military. Uh, talk to them about the advantages of that. And uh, there's a lot of problems with universities these days. And the military is a great place for a young person to 
get a lot of experience and a lot of very unique skills. Um, so that that's and, also and a, and a nice enlistment bonus because the military is having recruiting problems these days. Yeah, yeah. So, so it would be be a good thing. Yeah. Just the last point: the uh, the Wall Street banks are uh, are looking to do more business with China and actually adopting their uh, social credit scoring systems in in some cases, <laughs> applying this sort of the social scoring that China is doing uh, in the U.S. Yeah. for DEI and so yeah. forth not helpful yeah yeah well anyway um this was a very enlightening session um we covered a lot of ground we spoke about a lot of issues and all very interesting all very informative so i'd like to thank seth cropsey for uh spending so much time with us feel free to learn more about seth's work at uh, uh yorktown institute so thank you again seth thank you david my pleasure <laughs>